0: To the Andrea Kay Show. She's blonde, 5'2", and 102 pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she
1: is, Andrea Kay.
2: Because I'm TNT. I'm dynamite.
3: K show always so excited it's like it's it's always feels like the first time to step in the studio to get to do this show it's such a thrill thrilled to share this time with you all everybody watching via Facebook live people listening to me as well as getting to share this time with none other than DJ carrot sticks you're giving yourself applause
2: yeah, I'll take it any way can get it.
3: <laughs> you know I always give you applause and you know what it, it's well deserved cuz you keep the you're like the grease, baby. You're the grease that keeps the wheels going I would on s- the AK show.
2: If the Chargers were still here, I'd say call me Grease Lightning. Grease but Lightning? Grease oh, Padres doesn't Gre- tell
3: us. <laughs> Although the Padres seems like they're doing a little bit better, I don't know. I don't follow them that much. Although I didn't follow my NFL that much either this past season, and it seems as though Kaepernick is trying to like re- rehabilitate himself. We'll see if he can if he can bring people back to watching him. We'll see if he can get himself a gig.
2: Well, Spike Lee says it's racist that teams won't take him. Oh I mean, my. Did he see his record? Did he see when he played? It's Spike Lee doesn't have NFL Channel or NFL Network, I guess. I don't know.
3: I, what's the percentage of African-American players compared to uh, other players? I mean, come on, Spike Lee. You could do better than that. But then again, you know, he represents the party that found a PB&J sandwich in, in, you know, to be racist. So there you have it. And that kind of reminds me as we get into today's show, amazing lineup for you. Uh, got so much to cover. Um, but it seems as though oftentimes there's a theme for all the topics um, for the Andrea K. show. And tonight's theme seems to be the circus. Who says that the Ringling Brothers, Barnum May? We were all sad to hear the Ringling Brothers was going out of business. Well, you know what? Maybe they are. But we got a full on circus happening in DC. All meant to completely undermine President Trump That's what it's all about We've got a lot of people vying to be, you know, the ring leader. I guess the guy is It's been a long time since I went to the circus um, But clearly that's what's happening in D.C. You know, I, I, I tried to—I got so confused at one point, though. There was so, so much happening under the big top yesterday that I had to actually write down a couple of notes because I was kind of getting confused. There were so many balls being juggled by Comey yesterday. I think he was the ringleader in yesterday's circus. Let me make sure I understand you right, FBI Director Comey. He says, I can confirm an investigation into Trump-Russia collusion, even though it's been going on for 10 months and there's no evidence— To say that there was any conclusion, I will confirm there's an ongoing investigation, but I'm not going to close the investigation, even though it's been going on for 10 months and there's no evidence. Then, turn right around, throw another ball up in the air. I, as Comey, I refuse to confirm an investigation into leaks because I don't confirm ongoing investigations in spite of the fact that there's proof of leaks. Now, even though there's leaks of intercepted calls, still won't confirm an investigation into the leaks but he will conclusively say that there was no wiretapping. What? See, I'm already confused. And I, and I actually wrote it down. Now, the same people who were squealing with delight that Comey did say yesterday without any equivocation, absolutely hands down, no evidence of any wiretapping, even though he won't confirm that there was an investigation, won't close out an investigation on something that there, of which there's no proof that's been going on for 10 months. In fact, you know, the reports are that what's launched the investigation in the first place was fake news and a dossier. The same people squealing with delight that Comey said there was no evidence of wiretapping are ignoring the fact that he was forced to acknowledge yesterday that there is zero evidence whatsoever of any Trump collusion with the Russians. And the same people... Who said that the mere existence of an investigation with it involving Hillary and Benghazi in the email are hanging their hat on the fact that simply there is an, an ongoing investigation with no evidence to support it. There was plenty of evidence to support Hillary would broken many, many laws, committed felonies, only one of which was destroying evidence that had been uh, for which she had been subpoenaed. But, oh, my gosh. The big news coming out yesterday is that there's an investigation. I heard a great analogy, and we're going to ask Kurt Schlichter. He's going to be on the show in a little bit. First time on the show. He's from townhall.com. is an amazing uh, site, and he and I had a lot of fun on a Newsmax panel last week, and he's super smart. He's also an attorney, so he's a great guest for today's show. Um, But before I get to him, Newt Gingrich had an amazing analogy. He's so smart. I really wish um, that he had a bigger role in our government and particularly within the Republican Party, given the circus, because some of the people vying for, you know, ringleader at the circus are within the Republican Party. But Newt Gingrich had an amazing analogy to what's going on here before we take a break and go to Kurt. He said, here's 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 kind of how this went down. Somebody says to somebody else, did you hear that the color blue isn't being worn as much as it used to? Then it gets down the line and somebody says, well, why should there be an investigation into the color blue? Why isn't it being worn as much as it used to? Then the next person says, well, you know, the color blue should be investigated. Then it gets into, well, what did, there's an investigation of the color blue. Well, what did the color blue do wrong to require an investigation? Then the next step is the color blue is being investigated for wrongdoing. And then the final step is we have to get to the bottom of what the color blue did wrong to be investigated. That is the best analogy of what I have seen going on here in terms of what this investment. no evidence whatsoever for any wrongdoing. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all meant to just cast so much shadow and doubt. It's and it's all meant to take down Trump. I posted a great blog post. I don't have time to get into all the details of it with uh, that Gerard Lamero, uh, who was on the the show a couple of weeks ago. You can you can check that out on my Facebook wall. But we all know what this is really about. This circus is all just about trying to pull the the rug out from you. Whatever circus analogy you can come up with, I'm kind of out of them right now. But that's what this is about. Maybe lion taming is a good circus. And they're trying to tame the ringleaders. Are trying to tame you? What do you think of that analogy? They're trying to tame the lions with Trump being like, yeah, the king of the jungle.
2: I think that's good. Yeah, I think it's a great okay. analogy.
4: We're gonna like go it. with
3: that one. And we're also what we're gonna do is we're also gonna go to a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk to Kurt Schlichter from Townhall.com, who's also an attorney. Get his opinion of this circus and what's happening. This is the Andrea K Show on AM 1170.
5: Baby,
0: cause sky.
1: For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect
2: your family's legacy. You're listening to the Andrea K show on AM 1170, The Answer.
3: Welcome back to the Andrew K. Show. Glad to have you here. Before the break, or actually before the show today, we were talking about bumper music, and you know, I said, you know, I, w- I was thinking about maybe playing a little something from Staying Alive, from the Bee Gees, because I went to this uh, amazing restaurant here in San Diego and had so much fun listening to this guy playing all the classics from disco, the disco era. It was super fun. But, you know, the crack staff on the A.K. Show, we didn't, we didn't have Staying Alive In the song. Everything
2: comes back to Greece with you, doesn't it?
3: Well, not Greece, staying alive with John Travolta, baby. he,
4: (laughs) (laughs) He was in Greece.
3: Yeah, he was in Greece. Different movie. I love me some disco music, by the way. I love anything that gets me up dancing. We're trying to get a hold of Kurt Schlichter. We're going to get Kurt on the line. One of the things that I'm going to ask Kurt about is I'm going to ask him what he thinks about the GOP's performance yesterday, because I thought it was absolutely uh, lacking uh, in the circus. It's, you know, where was anybody, w- w- I felt like the GOP did as much to help Comey and help the left in the circus. What do you guys think? I'm going to throw this out there to you on Facebook. Tell me what you think of the GOP. Why, did I miss it? Now, granted, I didn't listen to all the questions, but I, did I miss the questions that had to do with Hillary and Uranium? Did I miss the questions about John Podesta and his brother in the Clinton Foundation? Did I miss the questions that had to do with Hillary Clinton setting up a Silicon Valley in Russia and getting tons of money at the Clinton Foundation? I didn't hear it. Well, I guess we have Kurt. I'm going to ask him those same questions. Hey, Kurt. Welcome to the Andrew K. Show. Hey. Hi. Always great to be talking to you and uh, my uh, pals down in San Diego. Awesome. you got buddies down here. Who knew?
0: I was a UCSD grad. Roberto's, Alberto's, all the Turtles.
3: Well, yeah, you know, there's, there's a bazillion different Erdo in, uh, inclinations or wh- however you want to say it down here. So, see, I knew I liked you when I was on that Newsmax panel. You're like, we're practically related. You're like kinfolk.
0: <laughs> um, oh, it's always good to share feelings.
3: Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, before the break, I was talking about the Comey to Clown and the circus, the big top that was happening yesterday in those hearings. Uh, you know, I mean, the I can confirm there's an investigation into something that's been going on for 10 months uh, in spite of the fact that there's no evidence, but I will not confirm that there's an investigation into something which is felonious in terms of leaks that are happening. And I mean, it, it's my head was spinning. Uh, what's your explanation for that? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I I have a little bit of a legal background, having been a lawyer for about 25 years, and tried cases in San Diego, as a matter of fact. Um, Here's the thing that kind of interests me. The only proof, the only felony we know was convicted or or, or committed— that we absolutely know that was committed, was the release of the information uh, involving Mike Flynn. That is a felony we know exists. Everything about, you know, everything about the Russian collusion is all smoke. There's nothing. Nowhere, and first of all, it's not a felony to talk to Russians.
3: Well, no, because if okay. it was, then maybe I would like to think that Hillary Clinton would would have already oh been convicted, you know, convicted. But then again, we, you know, this is the same guy who who came out one day last July and, and laid out a case for indictment, laid out a case to recommend indictment of Hillary Clinton for all the the felonies she committed with uh, through Benghazi and the email schemes, and then turned right around and said, "Oh, you know, psych." Uh, no, I'm not going to yeah. recommend charges. Yeah. So you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So now, now, yeah. Now,
0: having a bit of experience with classified information, because I was I retired a colonel 28 years. In fact, I was uh, uh, at Kearney Mesa Armory in the National Guard there in San Diego, was one of the places when some of my units were set, and uh, I, I dealt with classified information. And if I did one one millionth of what Hillary Clinton indisputably did. I would be still at Fort Leavenworth making large rocks and two small ones. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. be in a, a gravel production industry.
3: Absolutely, and and you know, and so if talking to the Russians was felonious, then she would be as well because you look at what she did with the Clinton Foundation. She, I did, I did a report a while back during during the time of the general election in which it, you know reports came out, thanks in part to WikiLeaks, that she basically set up during her time as Secretary of State, she set up a Silicon Valley over in Russia, encouraging business development over there. Lo and behold, those same businesses were the one that were were lining the pockets of the Clinton Foundation and paying Bubba hundreds of thousands of dollars to give speeches. Did Did I miss it yesterday, Kurt? Did the GOP ask questions about that and I just missed it?
0: Well, there's so much to ask questions on. They, they probably didn't get it through the <laughs> get to it through the flurry of nonsense. You know, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting that you know there there is one felony that we absolutely, everybody absolutely knows was committed, and you know there appears to be little to no interest in investigating that. But this mysterious Russian collusion thing seems to be a big deal. Hey, look, if you you know if there was one scintilla of evidence. collusion which the guys on the committee say there isn't clapper who's no friend of the conservatives say there isn't Morell, who's no friend of conservatives says there isn't and comey hinted there isn't don't you think we'd have heard about it say the last week of october
3: well yeah um you know, especially since, you know, Comey seems to just be – have his finger on the pulse with Russia. I mean, yesterday doing, you know, the wor- work for the Democrats as the ringleader of the circus says, you know, well, yes, you know, Russia dislikes Hillary Clinton. They wanted to hurt her. You know, Really? How do you know this, Comey? Are hey, you a mind reader or you got ties yourself to Russia? What the what? Are they like – are they sharing Cosmos,
0: talking, you know, dishing? Yeah. Just, just Comey and Putin? What's in your head? Yeah. Share with me. Yeah. Hold me. No, I, I – you know – it's just, uh, well, I mean, it's entirely possible that the Russians thought strategically having Trump in charge was better for them than Hillary. I don't know why Hillary, uh, you know, walks around with a uh, price tag on her. She's so easily bought. But uh, perhaps they did. So my question is okay, so what? It is indisputable that this Russian action had no effect on our voting procedures. Now, the revelation of true information that Democrats and their media buddies tried to hide from the American people may have affected uh, uh, some voters. When they saw the level of corruption and duplicity in the Democratic Party through the WikiLeaks release of the uh, stuff, uh, the information they failed to secure, uh, yeah, I think some people said, yeah, I don't want anything to do with these guys. So as far as the you know, true facts... Because uh, I'm a lawyer, and there are true and untrue facts. True facts coming out. Uh, yeah, that may have hurt it. Uh, sadly, it wasn't our media who reported them; it was a foreign government. Yeah. Um, I think it hits on the media.
3: Yeah. Well, why why did Trump keep him around and shitty fire Comey now?
0: Uh, No, I don't think he should fire Comey now. I think that would uh, simply, I I think he says yes to success, because he's already proven himself right about the wiretapping thing, because all he has to do is point at the New York Times uh, on January 19th and 20th, where the headline said, wiretap in post says blah, blah, blah. We know there was wiretapping that involved people around Trump because it caught Flynn. So Trump is correct. Uh, I don't think he lets them change the subject. If there's nothing there, and I don't think there is, and again, my best evidence is the fact we haven't heard anything, and we know Washington leaks like a sieve, I think he lets them run it out and put out a report that says, well, you know, there's a lot of smoke, but there's nothing.
3: Well, and, you know, uh, I think he fully should
0: humiliate the liberals.
3: Right. Well, I think he should fire Comey and I tell you why. I think he should fire Comey because I think if there's any re- greater representative of the swamp, it's Comey. And, you know, and when, when, when we find out that 97 percent of the Department of Justice, one good thing that's come out about this is that it's shedding some light in the fact that the intelligence community in the Department of Justice, which was uh, has been considered and still people are arguing, oh, that it's not corrupt. It's it's not politicized. Ninety seven percent. Yeah. Ninety seven percent of them voted for Hillary. Ninety seven percent of them. And I let's say we're off a percentage or so. Uh, donate to, to Democrats. This is the same intelligence community. That didn't bother to follow the Sarnayev brothers back from terrorist camps. This is the same intelligence community that didn't do anything, didn't bother to look at a Facebook page for the woman from San Bernardino. I, I have lost same intelligence community uh, that has Christian Saucier locked up and, you know, same intel and, and same law enforcement that, you know, has been fostering the DOJ, has been fostering hands up, don't shoot. So, you know, I think that the American people no longer no longer have this rose-colored vision of the FBI and the intelligence community. I'm talking to Kurt Schlichter from townhall.com. While I have you on the phone, Mr. J.D., I gotta shift gears. Oh, and by the way, before I do, we know that there's wiretapping because I didn't hear any questions about it yesterday, but Dennis Kucinich provided proof that he was wiretapped, and J- uh, Jason Chaffetz was illegally surveilled by about forty something agents. So, yes, it's factual, and shame on anybody, oh, yeah. especially Republicans. We also know that there are many whistleblowers coming out, like somebody named Montgomery. There's extensive reports going on at Newsmax, by the way, and even, you know, some people don't consider Infowars to be a credible site, but, you know, the, inf- the whistleblowers themselves maybe deserve uh, some review. So, yes, it's a fact that it's happened. Why else would we need a $2 trillion data mining facility in Utah? Americans wake the stink up. Okay, now Gorsuch. Also continuing in the circus today in D.C. is the hearings over Gorsuch. And I got to tell you, it seems like it's going much better for the Republican Party today than the Comey hearings. If one thing, I'm not a comma JD, you are, but I got to tell you, it was clear to me he was the smartest dude in the room when I left the hearings today. Well,
0: you know, there is, there's a real feeling you get when you're in front of a very good, very fair judge. Now, I've argued in front of the Ninth Circuit. I've argued twice in the last six months. Uh, oh, bless your and, heart. And I, you know, I remember I got up in front of a, a judge named Paul Watford, uh, very much the same resume as Barack Obama, appointed by Barack Obama. Now, Mike, this case is now mooted, so I, I can talk about it. Uh, I just felt... I'm not sure what, how he was going to come down on me, but I just felt he had smart questions. He was very fair. He was asking very, very, I mean, very good questions, paying attention. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get fair shake from this guy. Not to say not, that I wasn't the other ones. I'm just using it as an example of a judge whose politically pride does not agree with me, but who I felt did solid judging who was a fair judge. I walked out of there going, I think that guy was fair. I got a fair hearing. I got to ask good, tough questions to the other side. Uh, I thought that was very, uh, you know, and, and, and I think liberals need to be willing to say that about a, a conservative judge, a guy right. who's ideological, more conservative. And I think Gorsuch showed that. I mean, if you had a case, wouldn't you want a guy like who who, who, who seems like Gorsuch ruling on it, because I I think you can have confidence he's going to look to the law. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor, black or white. You know, it, it, none of this matters to him. All that matters is the law fairly applied. And I think you really said that. I think it was, you know, kind of embarrassing for Diane Slyne.
4: Oh,
3: it was embarrassing for all of them. I was even more embarrassed for Leahy, to be honest with you. But, I mean, did she not prove the fact that she cares a heck of a lot more about the well-being of Gitmo prisoners and what's happening to them and whether or not they got to put up with a little discomfort for some water than the discomfort and the terror that has been, you know, leached upon the American people with radical Islam. But here's my question for you about Gorsuch. Yeah, I love the fact that he says stuff like, my client is the law, and I'm going to uphold the law. But you look at some of his rulings in the past, and and I think there's reason to to say, you know what, hat tip to you for not tipping your hand, Gorsuch, and telling the Democrats how you're going to rule on certain cases. But the fact that he didn't tip his hand, combined with some previous rulings, it leaves one to wonder whether or not we know we've got a Scalia or whether or not we got a Roberts.
0: Well, yeah, I I think, um, you know, I've I've got a lot of confidence in him because I understand his ideology. And I think, uh, you know, I think Justice Roberts uh, applied a little more political analysis than was really uh, appropriate, especially in the Obamacare decision. Mm -hmm. Um, As for Judge Gorsuch, I just get the impression he's going to go and apply the law as he believes it, it, it's stated in the Constitution. And that's really all we should be able to ask. Uh, I like that he's a conservative. And I, I like people who look at law in what's called a conservative way. And, you know, the funny thing is the conservative way is the law.
3: Right. Well,
0: I keep hearing this nonsense about you're against the working man and for the big guy. Well, you know. If the big guy's right, the big guy should win and the working man, the poor guy should lose.
3: Well, not to mention how many if businesses how many businesses I were I used to work for one of the mm-hmm. largest companies at the time. It was a Fortune twenty five company, Xerox Corporation, that started with two little dudes, little guys in their garage. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, oftentimes big companies were started with oh, the yeah. little guy. And thank goodness that there were laws at the time on the books and free market principles in America at the time, back in the fifties, I think fifty nine, when, yep. when Xerox first started, because otherwise you you know, I wouldn't have had a job that was really critical to, to my life at the time. Um, one of the concern questions, final question for you about Gorsuch is this whole thing about precedent. Um, we have had such activist judges for so long now from the Ninth Circuit as well as from SCOTUS. I thought what Roberts did was it was an abomination um, as well as some other SCOTUS rulings. But if you're somebody like Gorsuch who just put so much um, emphasis on precedent, you know, shouldn't there also be if you are somebody who views the constitution, constitution as the end all and you are about the rule of law, why wouldn't you overturn a past decision that was crap?
0: I don't think you would. I, I mean, I don't think you would hesitate to. I think that you need to. When And there are decisions. like think be a wickery of Phil – God, I forget the one, the, the one about growing grain on your own land. which, yeah. is, uh, for instance, terrible decision. The Lochner decision back from 1905. I've got a lot of problems with that. The slaughterhouse cases from just after the Civil War. They eliminate it basically guts the privileges and immunities uh, provisions of the 14th Amendment. I, uh, these are are, are are errors that cry out for correction. In yes. my view, well,
3: and Roe uh, v. Wade, is bi- Roe v. Wade, because I don't read anything in the Constitution that gives me that gives me privacy. And in fact, if we were to apply privacy, my question that always stumps liberals is, if if it's my body, my choice, and that's how SCOTUS ruled, and the Constitution gives me that privacy, why am I not allowed to sell my eyeballs and my kidneys on the open market?
0: Well, that's that's absolutely true. That's a great question. Why not? It, it's inconsistent. Look, it, 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 Roe v. Wade's error is approaching this subject instead of leaving it to the states uh and you know the state of california probably is going to go in a way i don't like but you know what states kind of have a right, you know if the voters have a right within the bounds of the constitution to go in a way that i don't like but mm-hmm. it should be the states and they should have they all should suffer the consequences look at california california has failed to uh uh, uh, repair its infrastructure mm-hmm. In the Oroville Dam You've driven on I-5 yeah. you know, The conditions of these things We are suffering for it And that is appropriate That we accept the consequences of our state Perhaps that will teach us to make better decisions yeah. it is, you know, The Constitution is not Some sort of tool To correct errors It is a statement of how We are going to run our government And how the people are going to have a voice in it and an acknowledgement of natural rights given Mm -hmm. to us by our creator Mm -hmm. that the government cannot take from us, including the right to uh, speak freely, the right to uh, worship as we see fit, the right to defend ourselves, our families and our communities with weapons, uh, right to be secure in our possessions. Right. These are—this is the purpose of the Constitution, a foundational document. That's why it's such an error to talk about a living Constitution. A living Constitution isn't a
3: Constitution. Right. And it, and let me interject it, here— it simply Bef- preferences. It's simply preferences. Yeah. And one of the th- things that I thought was so brilliant about Gorsuch today, and we're going to have to wrap it up here, is when uh, the question uh, was posed to him that involved technology, and he used a brilliant example going back to— I don't remember exactly the year that he chose, um, but it was—, it was a long time ago, and, and it was, it was I think, during during the gold rush days, maybe. And he said, you know, um, technology may change, um, but the principles don't. And he used exactly. an example of something from so long ago, before there was telephones, before there was, probably even before electricity. I don't remember the year he chose. It was such a brilliant answer. So, um, fingers so crossed. He's so He is so smart. I don't know that the GOP is always smart with their picks, because for some reason, the left always gets it right with their SCOTA. Nominees, and we're yeah, we're we're, we're always batting about you know fifty percent, and but I think that for some reason I, I think in part it's because you've got and I post a, a blog post on my andrea posing the question why that is is it because the GOP is weak or is it because they're just not as good at the game or is it because the universities and law schools are churning out so many liberals and I that you know it's just hard to get purist anymore in our legal system and for me I think that's really the the reason why. Uh, you want to answer that real quick before we got to go? 30 seconds.
0: Well, look, there are conservative lawyers out there, ones who believe that the Constitution, the principles it embodies, must guide all legal reasoning. Um, so, I, you know, I, look, freedom is a great thing, and it sells itself. If we can spread the message, like you're doing, about the importance of freedom, about the importance of our Constitution, it's going to win over more and more people and counteract the nefarious influence of academia, not mm-hmm. the least of which is UC San Diego, my alma mater, yeah. the enemy of free speech, which will never see a dime from me until it gets back on the path of of freedom well
3: Kurt Schlichter, I, I, that's the perfect way to end it because when we come back from the break i've got turning point usa going to be on the show for the first time talking about what they're doing to help uh, to help young people understand the value of the free market system and the value of limited government and a way as a way to counter the liberal messaging that's been that's been um forced upon our youth uh how can people read your stuff because you're with townhall.com
0: uh, every Tuesday, every Thursday, townhall.com. Uh, I, I've got my column. And of course, find me on Twitter at, uh, at Kurt Schlichter. Look for right. the hashtag caring. All
3: right. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. All right, guys, stay tuned because we've got Josh Defoe going to be with us with Turning Point USA. You're not going to want to miss this segment. I'm super excited about what they are doing for the future of America.
1: loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy.
2: You're listening to the Andrea K Show on AM 1170,
3: The Answer. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. Ooh, that's a good bumper song there, DJ Carrot Sticks. That's a classic. That's actually got me doing a little chair dance in here. Thanks to everybody watching on Facebook Live. Uh, Thanks to uh, Kurt Schlichter for a great segment and basically teeing up my next guest because he was talking about the scourge of academia and what they're doing to young minds out there indoctrinating kids into socialism and, and big government. And he was saying, UCSD ain't gonna get a dime of his money until they turn that around. Well, I tell you who is turning around the youth and the millennials today and getting them turned on towards limited government and free market principles is Turning Point USA, an amazing organization. Most of you have probably already heard about about it because they're just so present on on Twitter and in social media, and so many people know about them. But in case you didn't, I'm pleased that I've got Josh Defoe going to be here with me. Hey, Josh, welcome to the Andrea K Show.
6: Hey, well, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure.
3: Okay, now. um you heard what Kurt Schlichter, I just let you know what Kurt Schlichter said. He says he's not going to give a dime to his old university until they start turning things around. Um, you guys are turning things around on college campuses. Tell everybody what Turning Point is and what you guys are doing and how people like Kurt can feel better ultimately about their alma maters.
6: Oh, absolutely. So essentially, Turning Point USA is the most powerful 365 conservative activism group operating on high school and college campuses in all 50 states. So we're on 1,100 campuses, actually. We promote free market capitalism, limited government, personal liberty, and we do so from a nonpartisan angle. This allows us tremendous access to a lot of these public campuses that could theoretically reject a political party or a candidate, but they can't reject an educational nonprofit. So for this reason, we get into some of the most liberal schools in the country and everything that we're about is is demographic change. We want to bring these common sense, uh, pro-America, nonpartisan ideas to young people, because I mean, you walk up to the average kid in this country and they don't want somebody telling them what to do, they're Mm -hmm. rebellious. They want to make their own way. They want to chase the American dream. And even if they come from a liberal background, the idea that the government wants to control every aspect of their lives is just terribly unsatisfactory. So we're seeing a huge shift Of kids coming from the middle of the spectrum over to the right.
3: Well, I love the fact that um, you guys understand Um, I was reading an interview that you forwarded with your founder, Charlie Kirk, who is just what he's done at such a young age, and and you as well is just uh, amazing. But you guys uh, of course, I think the fact that you're young helps you to understand how to talk to younger people and how to talk to the millennials. And one of the things he says that's important is that the younger people of today, whether they're college age, high school, or even the millennials, uh, they don't really like the labels of conservative and liberal. And there was, a, last week I talked about a video that was done, a man on the street interviews with some young people and they, ha- the name Betsy DeVos, man, they hated her, hated everything she stands for. They were quoting all the liberal talking points, but when they were asked about her positions on choice and stuff and on government getting out of choosing where somebody should go to school, they were all on board with it. And so you guys seem to understand that the way to reach the younger people is to talk to them in a way they understand stand to get the labels out of it and speak to them about the value of limited government. How are you rebranding, though? You say that uh, one of the things that you guys are doing is rebranding free market values. How do you rebrand free market values? And the reason why I ask is because one of the toughest things we have as conservatives is trying to sell opportunity and free markets over entitlements. How do you do that?
6: Uh, the best way is to take the argument, not even to a deep level, but to a 2 3 minute conversational level and turning point started with the idea that uh, so our founder read an article right after he started turning point that the average college kid only has four or five real conversations a day which seems astounding wow. but when you consider how much time there is on your phone and walking between classes and it makes a lot of sense so we thought hey what if i hire really sharp young conservatives we train them up and we send them out as field directors to just engage with hundreds and thousands of kids on a campus in a day, and that turned out to be uh, just total magic. There were groups starting at schools that nobody ever thought we would see a conservative group start at, and uh, that was kind of the basis of, of everything. And then from that, we went on to build uh, what is now the biggest social media footprint in politics. We reached 31 million people a week, and we feed wow. that back and in- field activism, and the hundreds of groups. But overall, uh, you divorce these ideas from names, you divorce these ideas from parties, you divorce these ideas from candidates, and then you have those two, three-minute conversations that right now our volunteers and chapter leaders and field directors are having, like right now there are hundreds of those kids trained up by Turning Point that are on campus right now as we speak, that will speak with a few hundred kids a day on their campus and just break down these ideas in a two-, three-minute conversation, walk them down the path of their major, what they want to do, do you want to start a business, do you want to start a family, and start talking about the basic tenets of conservatism and show them that the people and the keywords that they've been conditioned to hate through education uh, really aren't that bad.
3: What kind of reception Do you guys get I mean I I, I know that you guys Obviously do a lot of good training With your people Going out there But I I gotta imagine That you know There's been so much You look at the videos Coming out on college campuses When a conservative Goes to speak We're talking about Property damage. We're talking about pies being thrown in people's faces. We're talking about, you know, the worst type of violence and behavior happening. And 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 so I marvel at your guys as your people's ability to go out there and start these conversations without getting their hair snatched out. How do you how do you guys do that?
6: So I think uh, a great uh, a great picture of the difference between liberals and conservatives in that demonstration setting is what happened at our Denver leadership summit this past weekend. So anti-protest. Which is, as you probably know, that's very aggressive, pro liberal. They're supposed to be anti fascist, but really they're the fascists because they don't want to see any type of freedom of thought or freedom of discussion. They showed up to our event, violently protested it with very, very uh, vulgar language. They wore black masks and black suits and all that. And it's funny because they tried to be intimidating, but they also had to have their Starbucks. So some of them
3: were walking around this little walkway. <laughs> And doesn't that say it all It's like, oh, wait, hold my Starbucks while I go and try to be ugly to a conservative I mean, it's like ridiculous
6: So so they go out and do that And our kids, actually, we didn't even tell them to do this Our kids walk out of the Leadership Summit in Denver with turning point signs And, and they're all bright-eyed and brilliant smiles and dress nicely They go out there, and they intellectually challenge these people, and they had no idea what on earth they were talking about. Many of them were clearly paid protesters by these leftist Soros groups and all that, and it was just – it was a huge win for conservatism, and every one of those kids that challenged those people are never going to be afraid of another liberal demonstrator again Mm -hmm. for the rest of their life, but – the left knows that they are losing on ideas, so they have to try to win on intimidation, and it's not working. The biggest dynamic that we're seeing around the country on campus is that students in the middle who used to lean left, or maybe they're, they're right around the middle, a little bit lean right, they certainly don't want to be a leftist. They see, uh, they see these terrible things like the violent protests at UC Berkeley, mm-hmm. and they say, well, I don't really know what it means to be a conservative. I'll check it out, but I definitely know that I'm right. not a liberal. Right, and uh, and we're winning, we're winning big time right now on college campuses.
3: I've got a question for you from one of the listeners that has to do with policy, um, and um, I'm not going to give you my per my. I'm just going to throw it out there to you. You might have seen my answer because I I tagged you in it already. But the question is this: uh, Could the GOP secure a 2020 POTUS win by offering student loan debt forgiveness? Wouldn't that one trillion dollars be a good investment? for the future. What do you think about that um, as an idea?
6: So I think that that's a terrible idea. We already have an insufferable amount of debt. And as these students become more politically literate, let's say they're not even hardcore conservative, but just kind of common sense, starting to figure out things on their own, they see that this is such an impossible situation. Um, I believe that if we, Turning Point and a lot of other great groups on the right, do their job between now and 2020, that that would actually be a poor strategic decision because so many of these students realize that there's so much more benefit in their long-term future for us not to do some type of absurd student loan forgiveness program that we can't afford.
3: Well, yeah, it's, it's another entitlement. So I had a, I have a few issues with that idea as a conservative. Uh, first of all, the fact that I put myself through school, for, you know, working five nights a week, took out student loans that I paid back every dime myself. And you know what? It was a major accomplishment for me that was a good thing for me to have to go through because I learned about myself. I learned about hard work. And you know what? That degree meant more to me because I earned it. It wasn't handed to me. I, I not only earned my degrees, but I... I, I paid my, that every dime of that tuition myself. If we have a problem with students uh, with tuition being too high, let's go and solve that problem. The solution is not bigger government, right? It's not going to the taxpayers. When you have- No, well, bigger, bigger government is why we got
6: into this problem in the first place. I mean, higher right. education, it's not, it's not a popular thing for someone like me who speaks here on college campuses to say, but- Right now, it's a cartel. The government has so much control over these large public colleges. Mm-hmm. The government is the one constantly feeding these kids through government load programs coming from government high schools that socially pressure anybody who gets better than a D-plus average to go to school and they're going to become a miserable failure. I mean, it's right now, it's a cartel. Right. And the government is using it uh, up until now when we had so much liberal control Uh, Their goal was to churn out as many leftists as they could out of these universities, because when we think about this dynamic, it's terrible, but it makes sense from the leftist strategic perspective. A lot of these people, as they get older, they're business owners, they work hard, they value their money, they're spending their money.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think it's from a strategy become liberal, Right, and and I think from a strategy standpoint The, the Republican Party never wins When they get into an, enti- an entitlement competition So I don't think it's good f- From a strategy standpoint And it doesn't solve problems And I just, I, you know, Don Sherman Thank you so much for the question But I think uh, Josh and I are in agreement That that's not the way to go I think, you know, when you've got universities Hiring people like Focahontas And paying her $400,000 to teach a class <laughs> I think the problem is, is more in the universities uh, John. Stossel did a great uh, book on and did reports on the gross. I mean, these state run schools are, are no better than the DMV. They're no better than the VA. I mean, it's bloated waste. It's, you know, and, and so again, big government's not the answer. Um, what is the goal though? Okay, so is it is it that you guys are, last question for you, is it that you not only are doing a great job of helping to educate people on and young folks on, on free market principles and limited government and all that and hopefully, of course, you the goal might be to have them vote but do you also have programs kind of putting you on the spot here that maybe you want them to run for office down the road is there any bit of that as an end game goal
6: so that's certainly something that we've considered and right now 20 point is so young where we started in 2012 and did not have a strong nationwide presence until more mid end of 2014 and then 2015 and 16 we saw demonstrable growth so Right now, the oldest of our longtime activists, I mean, a lot of them just got out of college. Right, I got involved very, very early on, and I'm only two years out of college. So that could be a plan. It's something that we've discussed, but uh, more on that later. And as soon as, soon as soon as we do launch something like that, you'll be one of the first to know.
3: Awesome. As soon as you decide you want to run for office, you better let me know, Josh. All right. How can pe- how can <laughs> people get more? How can people get more information? And you guys have a conference coming up in June. How can people find out more about your organization and the conference?
6: So, best way is to go to our main website, which is tpusa.com. And also, just watch out for all of our social media on Twitter and on Facebook. But we we have a series of conferences coming up this summer. We have the Young Latino Leadership Summit coming up in July. We have the Young High School Leadership Summit coming up end of July, beginning of August. But the biggest one, the one that uh, I shared with you earlier, is the Young Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas the middle of June. That's going to be incredible. We're going to accept the best 1,000 high school and college female activists that apply. We already have some of the most impressive young conservative women in the country who are going to come by and share and not only speak, but also spend time with these young women who are the future of our country. Awesome. So if you if you are a young lady listening right now, go to tpusacom YWLS. And if you are a parent or grandparent, uh, send your kids over to that link. And uh, we would be very, very glad to uh, to connect her with other wonderful young conservative ladies around the country.
3: All right. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for the work that you guys are, are doing out there. And thank you for being on the show today.
6: Hey, well, thank you so much for having me. I hope to be on again
3: soon. All right. Take good care. Okay, got to let you guys know. I'm, I'm already wrapping up. I'm getting to the to the final segment of the show in, in a couple of minutes. I forgot to tell you guys, if you're in San Diego or anywhere in the San Diego area, we've got a fun, super fun event, uh, AM 1170 does, coming up on April 20th. It is hosted by, it's it's talking about an honest look at the first 100 days of the Trump presidency. And we're, what, 61 days in, so we got some significant stuff happening. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about Obamacare. Um, but this event... It's going to be super fun, hosted by Larry Elder and our main man, Mark Larson, here at AM 1170. So it's Thursday, April 20th. It's at the San Diego Women's Club down in Baker's Hill. I mean, tickets are are so affordable. It starts at $25. You get to hear um, Larry Elder, who's just such a superstar and one of my favorites. I think he was on Hannity last night. Y'all know Larry Elder. He's amazing. And and so is Mark Larson. He's on from 6 to 9 a.m. here in the morning. So uh, go to uh, AM 1170. Theanswer.com. find out for more information so you're going to want to be there it starts at seven o'clock so hey we're going to take a break we come back more with the circus going on with obamacare replacement repeal or replace replace or repeal what's going on with that when we come back from the break
5: home a home that you will build great memories in call me or text me at 619-992-7113 call me today i would be honored to help you find your dream home
2: you're listening to the andrea K show on am 1170
3: the answer another great song A lot of people, a lot of hardcore rock fans, they kind of bag on sticks and say they weren't real rock and roll. But you know what? I don't care. They put out some good music back when I was a kid, and I'm loving me some sticks. Thank you, DJ Carrot Sticks, Lumberjack, for playing that today. Okay, Obamacare. Um, Repeal or replace, you know... It's tough. Trump's been in a tough spot with this. He did go on the campaign trail and say repeal and replace. He didn't really say exactly what he was going to replace it with. We know that we've got a lot of factions w- within the Republican Party, and there's a lot of disunity going on because, as I talked about last week, we've got the rhino wing that has a lot more in common with the Democrat Party than they do conservatism like Rand Paul. And so what do you do? You've got so many people worried about re-election. Do do they let it die? Then, you know, we've got an entitlement that's had a long time, now seven years, to get its tentacles out into America. I have said before and continue to agree with Dr. Orient, who was on the show before. She's the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She's written a great article that I'm going to put on my Show.com in which she details uh, why repeal and replace is not a good idea. There are some changes that have been made to the original plan, the original replacement plan to try to appease conservatives and moderates. Uh, The latest is that what they're going to do is uh, with the federal Medicaid, instead of just having it be kind of like a blank check with expansion, it's going to be in the form of block grants. So in other words, it doesn't continue to expand as the enrollees, enrollment expands. Here's the fixed amount that's going to go to the states. And because some of the people were concerned that the... Medicare expansion was originally set to slow after 2020, uh, but nothing barred it from continuing to expand after that. So that's one change they're going to make. One other change, which is really important, and for the life of me, I cannot understand why this was not in the original replacement plan. They are going to have, they are going to require They're going to give states the option of requiring able-bodied Medicaid recipients to work or participate in job training programs or do community service. This was something Bill Clinton said back in the 90s. He made any type of welfare or entitlement program transactional. You had to earn it. Why in the world do we even have a Republican Party that ever was going to give any kind of entitlement to somebody who could work and was choosing not to? And so many of these people, I think 11 million of them didn't even have kids. There's also um, to help these seniors. You know, they also are going to say they want to continue to require the pre existing conditions under the insurance companies, but then they're not going to enforce people or mandate that people buy it. So who was going to pay for that? So now I guess they're going to increase. Uh, Tax, give $75 billion additional tax credits to help people buy policies on the individual market. I'm liking some of these changes. I think it's getting better, but I think ultimately it's not a free market solution, which is what we needed. We really, Trump says the best thing to do would be to let this thing die on its own and you know what Trump I agree with you and you should let it die. They, what they've done is they're fear-based, worrying about whether or not anything's going to be bloodied and whether or not they're going to lose in 2018 and they should not be worried about that. That's not doing what's right for the American people. That's more of the same Republican crap that got us into this mess in the first place. And I don't care whether it's John Kasich up in uh up in Ohio, or whether or not it's somebody you know uh, in upstate New York who's worried about reelection, that should not have anything at all to do with anything that's done with Obamacare and the replacement. Doing what's right for the American people. Let this thing die. Again, I'm going to post a Dr. Orient's um, response to this on my website. Now I want to know what you guys think. Is it prudent? to basically do some kind of quasi obamacare light in order for re-election, or should we let the thing die? Joining me, rather late, I might add, is my man, Al Arias, my smooth operator, here to talk about the budget. Hey, Al. Yes? All right, well, glad to see you, my friend. We got about five minutes. I don't know if you had a chance to, uh, first of all, Obamacare... Um, they are trying to kind of do a quasi-free market plan. One of the things that they're doing is adjusting all the tax credits. There's some people like Dr. Orient who is saying these tax credits are nothing more than subsidies because a lot of the people are going to benefit from them. Don't pay any taxes. Other people are saying, no, we're on the right track because a lot of the people are going to benefit from these these tax breaks, particularly involving the HSAs, health savings accounts, all that, are people that are losing their shirts tax-wise, and it's a benefit to them. What do you say?
4: Well, Congress is uh, between a rock and a hard place. And uh, it's going to be very, very difficult to take away benefits, especially from the disadvantaged. So there has to be a way to come to a political Position that will plast muster, that will uh, take an initial step to curing an incredibly bad situation created by Obamacare and entitlements in general.
3: Well, I I hope that, you know, Dr. Gina was telling me Friday that she thinks that they're going to do amendment after amendment and they're slowly going to ease their way to a full free market uh, plan. I think that's the only way to save it. I think that what we've got right now is playing politics. I think they worry too much about reelection and you cannot do what's right. We've got 20 trillion dollars in debt that gets us into the next thing. You cannot. We've got people screaming on both sides that Trump is trying to cut too much out of the debt. We cannot afford to continue entitlements that we can't pay for.
4: Well, it's a process and we're engaged in the process. Mm -hmm. So there's give and take Mm -hmm. it's the legislative process. So it's going to go on like this. We don't know what they're coming up with. They come up with things that uh, ring very uh, well to conservatives like me, Mm -hmm. where uh, there's a requirement to work yeah. in order to get benefits well we had that in the reagan years and it was beautiful we also had for direct- for, for the whole united states of america including the disadvantaged well, and yeah. they worked mm-hmm. and all of a sudden as soon as you recreated the dole they stopped working
3: Well, yeah, Bill Clinton himself said that it should be transactional. I talked about that before you came in. Uh, You know, the left, of course, is trotting out when it comes to the budget. Oh, my gosh, the Republican Party wants to starve old people and wants to feed, you know, dirty water to kids. Uh, They they said, oh, you know, Donald Trump is trying to get rid of Meals on Wheels, which is not even a federal program. And, you know, all they're trying to do across the board, we're talking maybe 20 percent cuts to some of these programs, $227 million uh, for home deliveries. And they can't even track how much of that actually goes to Meals on Wheels. We have, here's my message to liberals who want to trot out those same talking points. The war on poverty has cost us over 40 years trillions of dollars, and we have more people on food stamps than we've ever had. So big government spending entitlement programs has not made anybody healthier, hasn't increased anybody's access to a doctor, hasn't fed any more people. No more people are working. We still have fewer people, actually. We have fewer people after eight years of Obama in the workforce than, than we've had going back to, to pre-Jimmy Carter. Some of the programs that they're looking to, to cut. I got to looking at it and thinking, how in the world did they ever even get approved? Uh, The Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, a a program to provide scholarships in social sciences and humanities. Hey, you know what? If they're going to go to a trade school and learn how to swing a hammer, maybe we should put a few bucks in there. The Inter-America Foundation, which promotes citizen-led grassroots development in Latin America and the Caribbean, That's basically a government program just for some people to want to go and sip a Mai Tai on a beach. I mean, this is ridiculous how we've gotten with our budget.
4: There are ebbs and flows. So we went through all this entitlement stuff in the ebb. Yes. Now we're in the flow. And a lot of the entitlements have to be cut Mm -hmm. and they can't be maintained over the long pole. It's the biggest reason why we have these trillions of dollars of debt. Yeah. And uh, we have to take action yeah. to <laughs> to stop the reaction.
3: Right. Well, you know what? You're right about one thing. Once an entitlement gets going, it's almost impossible to pull it. Uh, Sesame Street, Big Bird, $1.8 billion, I think, a year in royalties for merchandising. And we're still giving government money to these people. It's absolutely ridiculous. Got to leave it there, out because I only got a couple minutes left. Now I get into my hero, My it's award time for Hero of the Week and last week's Fool, this week's Tool Award. Um, I'm kind of accomplishing two here. Judge Napolitano was fired from Fox. I don't know if you guys heard this because he declared not just that the British are coming, he declared that they came. And they were the ones responsible for the wiretapping of Trump. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that Chuck Grassley sent a letter to the FBI wanting to know what their involvement was and why they were trying to hire Steele, who was the British guy who came up with the phony dossier that supposedly accused Trump of hiring people to urinate on beds Obama slept in. So, you know, why is that so outrageous for Judge Napolitano to say that? Why is he losing his job over that? We know there was wiretapping. It's been proven. Um, So I say reinstate him. However... You know, as free market, they've got a right to hire who they want and fire who they want. I'm for at will employment. That also leads me to Tommy Laren, who was suspended from the blaze because of her interview on The View, in which she outed herself as pro-choice. And that's caused uh, a lot of uproar. And for those defending her, I would say, why are you defending her? The same conservatives who were jumping in to rush to her defense are the same ones that mocked endlessly all the women at the pro-abortion Women's March on Inauguration Day, including Ashley, Ashley Judd, for being nasty. Here's the deal about Tommy Laren. Uh, you know, I- it's okay that she's pro choice. What I disliked was the way she went about it. I disliked the bastardization and the torturing of the Constitution that she did and trying to say, "My, stay out of my guns and my body. First of all, weren't you the same girl who said two months ago that my body, my choice, and your rant was a stupid argument? So why did you trot it out on The View? Because maybe you're looking for a gig somewhere else. And as conservatives, and, and so the, her whole argument for it was ridiculous. She didn't argue for any limits on it. So basically, she's arguing supposedly as a conservative for unfettered abortion. My question to conservatives are stick to your principles. Why are you suddenly abandoning your conservative ideals to support somebody who doesn't support your ideals? It doesn't make sense to me. That's not what our party is supposed to be about. You know what I'm about. I got to leave it there. I'm going to do a blog post about it. We'll talk more about it. What do you think about the situation? What do you think about tonight's show? Thank you for all for tuning in. I'll be here right back here next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Pacific time, a.m. 1170 The Answer.
2: I'm the power. I
3: hell. I Watch it.
0: me experience.